So this morning we're continuing our sermon series on wisdom, and we're looking at a wise pursuit of justice, God's justice. It was tempting for me at least to start a sermon like this by saying something like, wouldn't it be great if everyone else in our world lived justly? Maybe you felt that way too. Of course, it would be great if everyone in our world lived justly. There's a lot of problems if we approach justice with that kind of attitude. That question, wouldn't it be great if everybody lived justly? Well, it's problematic for at least a couple reasons, and the first one is that we can't change other people. No matter how much we try or want to, we simply don't have the power or the ability to change others' minds or hearts. The second reason is that Christians are passionate about justice because God is passionate about justice. While we can't call others to my picture or our picture of justice, we need always as Christians to point to God's justice, His perfect justice which is greater and deeper and longer lasting than anything that we can come up with ourselves. So as we get into this sermon, we're going to be guided by two texts Proverbs 16 and uh, one from Luke 18 as well. But as we think about justice, I want to start by reflecting on injustice before we come to God's Word. Justice is a challenge to define. It's a very big term that means a lot of things, but it's even harder to do justice than it is to define justice. Justice is about fairness, about treating others equally, It's about honoring everyone, safeguarding everyone, affording the same rights to every person. It's about more than that, too. Justice is hard to do because talk is cheap and doing justice requires everyone to give up something for the greater good. God's justice requires personal sacrifice rather than just forcing or taking from others or putting our way or our best on others. One of the things I know, and I think many of you know about River Park, is that we're a church who loves justice. The Calgary Justice Film Festival was started by members of our church a number of years ago. But our views of justice are often based on our own personal situations or on the wisdom of our world. Our love for justice is good and beautiful, but we always need to be refocused again on God's justice, which is bigger and better and fuller than our own. But justice, like I said, is more than that too. In some ways, I could say that we know injustice when we see it, which is to say that all of us look around our world and we see some injustice. Because of our limited perspective, however, we don't even see it all. Each of us and all of us only see some of the injustice in our world, and most often it's the injustice that others do or others are a part of that we see. It's harder for us to see ourselves. Injustice, though, includes racism and oppression and all kinds of damage to other people and to our world itself. At its core, injustice is about taking something from others or wanting to use others for our own benefit. Seeking our own personal benefit or self-interest can also lead us to be passive, especially when we are in the majority group or when we're not personally affected by some injustice. 
Think about your own life. We can be very passive when it comes to justice, as long as I'm okay, as long as the people that I care about um, are, are okay. Until I experience injustice, a lot of times my eyes, my ears are closed. So perhaps I don't care about a broken healthcare system until someone I love has heart disease or cancer. Or I don't care that much about the rights of LGBTQ plus people until a family member or a loved one shares their uh, journey with me. Or I don't care about creation until, I, until someone I love or myself I'm affected by a natural disaster. Or I don't care about our broken immigration system until someone I love shares their difficult journey and unfair treatment or until I have to go through it myself. We are always limited in our ability to carry on uh, or to care for others. So often we carry on, we're unaffected by the suffering of others or by injustice in our world. And it's not only a lack of empathy, we're not, you're not, uncaring people, it's also because of our limits. As humans, as limited people, we simply can't care enough about others and about our world all the time. We can't, we don't have the capacity to do justice in every situation. Because of this, I think sometimes when we think of justice, we just get overwhelmed. We think, oh, it's too much, it's too big, I can't do anything. Our focus is often, when it comes to justice, our focus is often on things that are outside of our control. We think about things that others need to do or others need to change in order for our society to be more just. We imagine how votes or legislation or government effort could change things, even though none of us, as far as I know, commutes to Ottawa for work. We think about what the richest people in the world could do if only they used their money better. We're hesitant to do anything with our own money. It's such a small amount, after all. We often limit or de-emphasize our own personal action and limit at the same time or de-emphasize, ignore God's action in bringing justice in our world. And so as we prepare to open up God's Word, I want to suggest to you that if you have a view of justice that depends on other people doing things, that you think they need to do, well, you're going to be disappointed time and time again. We come to Scripture because Scripture always offers us a better way, a wiser way. And so instead of beginning with the question of, wouldn't it be great if everyone else lived justly? What if we humbly asked ourselves what God's vision for justice was? We certainly cannot handle it all today. But we're going to start, uh, just take a, take a bite into justice by looking at uh, ourselves, our personal lives as a starting point. And so to that, uh, Proverbs 16 speaks to our very personal situations. When the, 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 this one is from Solomon, so the writer of uh, Proverbs says this. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. If a person's way seems pure to them, excuse me, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. 
Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything in its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. And then Proverbs ends here, or our our portion for today ends here. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. That last little sentence there, those two lines, give us clear direction along with everything else about what God through his Holy Spirit wants us as individuals to be aiming at. To you, to us gathered here, this last sentence might be a nice pithy saying. But if you were a young Hebrew boy learning Proverbs at Torah school, which is what I told you earlier, this is what Proverbs were used for, This last sentence, verse 8 there on the screen, would connect with you in a powerful way and open up a window into the heart of the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, Reformed Christians have long recognized that there are two sort of twin themes that wind their way together throughout the Bible. Covenant, God's covenant love, and kingdom, God's kingdom reign or rule. Our tradition has long emphasized God's covenant. But if we open up the Bible, we find that the theme of God's kingdom is actually even greater than the theme of God's covenant. And we would likewise see, if we study our Bibles carefully, that the theme of God's kingdom is always talked about with two things in mind, justice and righteousness. Finding the words justice and righteousness in the Bible is like hearing someone say, and I want you to imagine, some of you will maybe get this reference and some of you not. If I say to you, live long and prosper, some of you know immediately I'm referring to Commander Spock in Star Trek. And if you know me, then you are well on your way to guessing that that's what I'm talking about because you know that I'm a nerd. But the same thing is true of Scripture. When I say to you, live long and prosper, I'm, if you don't know the reference, that might just seem to you like a kind of nice greeting or hope for someone else. But if you know the reference, then those few words open up a whole conversation and a whole story and a whole view of the world just with that sentence and a little hand gesture. The same thing is true when the scripture speaks of justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are always, in the Old Testament and the New, always in the context of God's kingdom and God as king. Isaiah 33 says of God, The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. Psalm 98 says, Let the people sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in justice or equity. Even in the time of the patriarchs, before God's people imagined having an earthly king, God was already planning for his kingdom and his rule to come. And so in Genesis 18, when, God, uh, when the three visitors come to Abram and Sarai, 
God says, I have chosen Abraham that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised him. In the Old Testament, that word righteousness occurs 336 times and then 100 more in the New Testament. Likewise, the word justice occurs 263 times in the Old Testament and then 46 more in the New. That's almost together. That's just shy of between 800 and 900 times. Always, righteousness and justice are key characteristics of the kingdom of God and of God as king. So just like saying, live long and prosper, you can't talk about righteousness and justice without also referring to the kingdom of God. Of God. You can't talk about the kingdom of God without also thinking of righteousness and justice. Scripture speaks clearly and loudly and often about God's passion for justice. Scripture speaks at the same time clearly and loudly and often calling God's people to follow God's way, to be shaped by God's heart, including God's heart and passion for justice. And somehow, justice, and, or social justice as we think of it today, often has become a polarized or a politicized term. But again, the Bible speaks clearly and repeatedly, not just a few times, not just six times, but hundreds of times about the character of justice that is definitive of the kingdom of God and the family of God. The kingdom and the family of God are characterized by righteousness and justice together because we have a covenant father and a king who is a king and a father of righteousness and justice himself. So what do we do with this amazing picture of God as king of the world? God who rules with justice and righteousness. God who makes sure that every person and every group is ultimately treated with fairness, with equity, with respect, and with honor. What do we do with this big picture of God? Well, most often, my observation anyway, fairly or unfairly, my observation is we tend to put pressure on ourselves or put pressure on others. We say, well, we need to act justly. Or maybe we say, you need to act justly. But can we just pause for a few moments? Pause for long enough to look up from ourselves and be in awe of a God who is good and so good that he can do what is right and fair and just and wise in any and every situation. Jesus gives us a a picture into the character of God when he tells this story in Luke chapter 18, the other uh, text from Scripture that we're going to look at today. And he tells this this story in the context, well, you'll, you'll see in a minute. Jesus says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one of them was a Pharisee, and the other one was a tax collector. The Pharisee was a leader in his community. The tax collector was a a rebel, an outcast, and something of a traitor. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you 
that I am not like other people, that I'm not like robbers, that I'm not like evildoers or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I, I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up. He wouldn't even look to God in heaven, but he beat his breast. He, he was hunched over like this. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus ends his parable, his story this way. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can we just for a moment be amazed at a God who would welcome a humble, broken person into his kingdom and into his family? Someone who has nothing to offer except himself and himself is a pretty messed up, broken guy. Even by his own admission. At the same time, can we be in awe of a God who rejects a powerful leader, an important man in the institution who's full of himself, who has confidence in himself rather than in God? Before we consider what others need to do, and even before we consider what we need to do ourselves as God's people, and certainly before we look around and pat ourselves on the back, We need first to stand in awe of God and of God's justice. When Jesus tells this story, he's showing intentionally how justice works in the kingdom of God. If the story wasn't clear to those who were listening, later Jesus tells the same story, but instead of telling it with his mouth or with his voice, he shows that story with his life. Jesus shows with his life and with his death how justice works in the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God works and welcomes people with justice and with righteousness. Jesus shows with his life and with his death that the way to justice and righteousness is a way of humility and a way of self-sacrifice. If we really want to fight injustice and fight sin, but we do it with pride and we do it with confidence in ourselves, we will only ever create some new unjust system or some new unjust situation. This is because it is our pride and it is our self-centeredness that causes injustice in the first place. Self-centeredness on an individual level or on a group level leads to social injustice. And self-centeredness or self-focus on national level or on institutional levels leads to systemic injustice. God's justice and God's righteousness are exactly opposite from the righteousness and the self or the self-righteousness and the justice of our world. Because God is not consumed with himself, but empties himself in love for others. 
Because we are a church that loves justice, we want to restore and rebuild broken systems. We want to renew relationships. We want to care for our hurting world and our hurting earth. But we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our limited ways. We see time and time again that our way, the human way, is to take from others or to use others for our own advantage. But Jesus' way is to give himself, to sacrifice. If you read the, the, all the stories of the New Testament, you read all the Gospels, you see that Jesus didn't use others for his own advantage. He didn't take from others in order to help himself. To bring justice, he disciplined himself. So often we want others to pay the cost for our own advantage. Or perhaps we want others to pay the price for their own injustice and their own sin. But Christ disadvantaged himself in order to help others. Jesus' righteousness and his justice was the opposite of the righteousness and justice of our world because Jesus, when we call for reparations from others, Jesus paid the reparations even though he had done nothing wrong. Jesus gave willingly and generously to those who had, who had broken trust with God and to those who had even sinned against him. Imagine for a moment if you really decided to follow that example of Jesus as a just king. Imagine that you lived your life give, giving your money, giving your time, giving your energy to people around you, even and especially when they wronged you. Imagine how your life would be transformed instead of, or if instead of considering yourself first, you saw some injustice and whether you were the cause of it or, or someone else was, you emptied yourself in order to address it. Our desire, our goals for seeking justice so often fail because other people refuse to change. Other, other people refuse to give what they truly owe. But if our goal was the goal of Christ, if your goal is the goal of Christ, then no one and nothing can stand in your way as you seek to empty yourself to bring justice to the world around you. If your goal was to seek justice and to make sure that every person you came across, you gave of yourself, you gave your time, you gave your money, you gave your energy, then even if you were robbed, even if you were wronged, that would just help you to continue to pursue your goal. The people who harmed you would only be helping you empty yourself in care and love for God and others. One of the beautiful pictures and ways in which we see this is in a classic play and story, Les Miserables, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. In this story, the author Victor Hugo uh, paints a picture, tells a story about a poor mistreated man named Jean who finds shelter at a church where the local priest helps him out. After uh, or Jean has been mistreated by his boss, he's de in a desperate situation to feed his family. And after the, he comes to church and the priest helps him, 
John comes back to that little church building at night and he steals a bunch of valuables from the church. He takes some gold plates and he takes some real silver silverware, some forks and knives, and he's going to sell them in order to make some money and help himself out and his family. But he gets caught. The police catch him in the act or a little bit afterwards as he's running away and they drag him back to the church. And they wake up the priest in the middle of the night and they say, oh, this guy took all this stuff from your church. We caught, all this, we caught him with all these things. But this priest knows the man's desperate situation. And so he says to the police, all of these items were a gift from me to him. And John, you, for, you forgot the silver candlesticks. So he goes into the back, he takes out the candlesticks and he gives those to the man as well, along with everything else that he had taken. This story is often told as a story about forgiveness, and in a way, it is. But it's also a story about justice. This priest has as his goal to give of himself and what he has to others. So even the man who steals from him helps the priest in his goal of becoming more like Jesus, of emptying himself and giving in love to others. If our, if our goal, if your goal and mine is God's justice, then the path to justice is self-denial. And no one can stand in your way if your goal is to empty yourself. The path to justice is long and difficult. Again, I want to reiterate that there's far more on this topic than what I can say just in one morning or 26 minutes. But like any long and difficult journey, we do not walk the road for the sake of its difficulty. We walk the road because the destination is worth anything to get to. The destination of justice for Christians is the kingdom of God. Not, some, not only some future kingdom, some nice pie in the sky when you die, but a kingdom of God that is present and real and realized here on earth. This is the hope for all of our longings and all of our work. And no one can stand in your way if you are pursuing God's justice. All we need to do is give up more, to empty ourselves more, to seek God and His wisdom and His way more. You don't need to force or coerce or even try to convince others. You simply need to follow God's instructions. This is true whether you find yourself at times in positions of power or whether you find yourself in positions of being hurt, being mistreated, and receiving the injustices of our world. Again, when we look at the whole picture of Scripture, we see that God always uses disadvantaged people and always uses victims of injustice for His purposes. He showers them with His love. God is always caring for widows, for orphans, for immigrants. He's even caring in the Old Testament all those laws that many of us skip over. God is even caring for the animals that are used to work in the fields. 
God is always caring for all of his creation. And he wants his people to join him in doing that. Sometimes we imagine the Proverbs or other parts of the Bible as harsh and rigid laws which we must follow. But again, those young men, those young boys who were learning Proverbs in Torah school all those years ago, they received God's words as instructions, expert advice to equip God's people for success in many difficult situations. We can always ignore expert advice. We always have the option to go our own way or try our own thing, but we know through experience that when we ignore the advice of experts, when we ignore the wisdom of our elders and the wisdom of God, that the road is harder and longer, that we suffer more. In contrast, it's the person who takes her personal situation before God humbly, who personally experiences justice, even when she still has very few worldly possessions. Congregation, there's so much more to say, but this morning I want you to hear God's heart for justice. And I hope you do. And as you do, I, hope, I want to end with just one easy, personal way for you to check. Is my heart aligned with God's heart for justice? Here's how you can check. How do you want to spend your time? Do you want to spend your time with people who are affected by injustice of some kind? We talked this morning about God's self-denying love, God's self-giving love, the justice and the righteousness that characterize God's kingdom. But God's work for justice is all to ensure that he can spend eternity knowing and loving us, knowing and loving you. The idea that we could merely try to help other people and then walk away or be helped by someone else and then go our separate ways, that's so much less than justice. God has made us so that we can live together with him and together with one another forever. So again, one final time as you consider yourself in your own life. Do you want to spend time with people who are affected by injustice? Are you preparing to live with others and live with God forever? It's a life that begins now and a kingdom that continues even today. This is what God has been doing. He's been preparing to spend our lives and his eternity with those who have been affected by injustice and sin and brokenness in our world. Well, you join him in doing what he has been doing for so long now. Please pray with me. Father God, we come to you this morning. Teach us to stand in awe. May we see who you are more fully. And as we open up your word and as we look at your world, as we examine our own hearts, may we be characterized more and more by the justice and righteousness that is yours, that you might become king more and more of our hearts and that you would invite us to the joy and the blessings and the life that is ours, not because we are worthy of it, 
but because of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.